I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. It's another early morning for us it's in the pod world. A little crazy in the in the early morning. I only say that again because of my insecurity about my voice, probably because I haven't talked to anybody but you guys right now. You didn't you do your voice warm up this morning when you got out the of bed? The only thing I did was tell the dogs to get out of the way a couple times grumpily. Well, that, is that a word? <laughs> grumpily, yes, it is. It's one of my favorite words. <laughs> a little grumpy. Yeah. Because they, they get going real fast, mm-hmm. real early. They're just, they wake up and they're happy. And I'm not that person. It takes mm-hmm. me like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I had a late night last night. Did you? I went to... Performing Arts Center and saw Pretty Woman. The musical? The musical. My stepmom took me and it was awesome. That's nice. It was really cute. Was it good? Yeah, I thought it was good. I don't know how they make it into a musical. I know. I was wondering that myself. Um, You know, it's so iconic that at at first I was like, hmm. But the music was upbeat and modern. Mm -hmm. The choreographing was basics. I mean, it it was just, they told the basic story of Pretty Woman. There was no spoiler alert. She ends up with a guy, <laughs> right? But they uh, it's just nice to be out with a group, a large group of people, mm. unmasked, mm-hmm. sitting there and enjoying life yeah. like it should be. Right. So and it was great. Is the guy the main lead? Is he Richard Gere beautiful? No. Was she Julia Roberts beautiful? I don't know. We were sitting kind of t- no. far away. I right. couldn't. They were good. I mean, I think really in that sense, well, first of all, the the person who played the hotel manager, yes. that's so hard to... It's a good... Yeah. That's a good role, mm-hmm. but it also is hard. He was really good. Yeah. He was super talented. They had him playing a kind of a narrator slash intro guy, and then he became... He took a j- big jacket off, and then he was the hotel manager, oh, he, and yeah. then they had him play several parts. Oh, that's cool. They had the people, the singing kit, mm-hmm. her sidekick, mm-hmm. she knocked it out of the park. Oh, of all cool. of the, the people, the actors, they were all great with the music, right? So that's all that matters. I, that's really, what that's there it. For. I mean, he couldn't, could he be Richard Gere gorgeous? Probably on Broadway. Well, Bradley Cooper can be. I, 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 he can sing. I would have sat in the front row for that. He can. <laughs> I would have paid whatever it took to be in the front row for you Bradley You wouldn't be Cooper. alone either. You'd be sitting on someone's lap. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. I'd be standing room only for that. Did you see who... Don't mean to totally sidebar this whole conversation. <clears throat> you see who Bradley Cooper's dating? Am I going to be disappointed? It's not me. It's not It's not Denise. See, my everybody. last name is Cooper, so I wouldn't even have to change it. I've always had this plan. I'm just saying. <laughs> he loves middle-aged women who are grandmas, I'm sure. Well, looking, judging by who he's dating now, you might not be that far off. Who is it? It's, do you remember the <laughs> shamed politician with the sexting Anthony Weiner from New York? He's dating Anthony Weiner? He's dating Anthony Weiner's ex-wife, Hillary Clinton's former aide. Ooh, she, what? <laughs> I am, now it's early morning and I am... I, have, I wanted to text you last night, but I knew that you were probably busy because I hadn't heard from you. 
So I was like, I'm just going to let her have her night and I'm going to talk to her in the morning because I need this face-to-face reaction. <laughs> I am, Bradley, I'm just saying, what, what is, is going on? I can't, you, there's he no went exp- from a supermodel to that? There's no explaining chemistry. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> it's a I weird would have been choice. better off with Anthony Weiner being his choice. Uh-uh. Well, at least then it would be like, oh, well, this is just weird. And, and, and he's gay. And, and this is unexpected. <laughs> and Okay, Bradley. Okay. That would make more sense for me. No. She's no Amal Clooney either. No, it's not like she's some kind of brainiac who will just. Real exotic. Uh, that's one word. I'm just saying. Okay. We are totally so, off so the mark So go ahead and here. let that simmer while I introduce our guest. I am so sorry, Christy, for you. Those are like three minutes you'll never get back. Yeah. Sorry about that. Anyway, this, this is, is how we do. This is our warm-up act. This yeah. is how, this is what we do with, yeah. Your voice sounds great now. Thank you. <laughs> me, 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 me. Christy, we're so glad you've joined us. I think Christy has come the furthest for podcasting mm. for us. For sure. Yes. Now, I... I had a whole introduction down that I was going to give everybody about you, but then I realized I'm probably not doing you justice. I reached out to her because she does something really interesting that, that we love. That we love. Um, and, and it. Let me let you introduce yeah, sure. yourself and just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so I'm Christy Walton, mm-hmm. and I am originally from Orange County, California, but I currently live in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, which I love. She came all the way to, from Texas I just can. to see us. I did it. I drove with, with her a kids. dog and two kids. Oh, oh God bless In you. fact, I drove from Texas to Utah 20 hours in one day. Oh. And then from Utah down, here I am. I talked to her on her way down, and she was stopping to get food and gas, and I said, are you okay? Because, yeah. I mean, road trips are... A challenge yeah i mean yeah, yeah it's just it's it could go either way yeah and she was just calm as a cucumber she was like oh no my kids are awesome they don't make a pee are you they the only awesome. driver yeah no. oh. you are yeah i didn't realize that my husband has to work so it's oh just me. he had to work yeah but mm. so i'm a stay-at-home mom yeah um <laughs> i was a former um high school in junior high teacher for oh, history okay. for eight years and now I'm a stay-at-home mom that I have two kids, and I am a genealogist. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple different roles. I kind of break it up into three. I am a genealogist, and I do family histories for people, what you would expect, you know, researching someone's tree. I am also a genetic genealogist, so I help adoptees or people that you know have questions about their biological family help them find their biological father mother grandparents or whatnot and then i'm also a investigative genetic genealogist and that is using dna and genealogy to help solve cold cases whether it be homicide rape or unknown human remains you know Mm -hmm. jane and John Doe. John Doe yeah. So those that's are the my part three we roles. get pretty excited about. Did you do you work for a company or you did in order to do that kind of DNA genealogy? Yes. So the lady, there's a lady that is one of the pioneer people. She's the one that solved the Golden State Killer case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back in. I can picture her in my head right now. Her name's yeah. Her name's Barbara Ray Venter. Um, there's two main ladies that you usually hear about. It's her or C.C. Moore. Barbara's my boss. We work on a team of, you know, 10 to 
15 of us and we work together to solve cases and we meet twice a week and she gives us cases and we work on them in kind of groups and do when you say you meet twice a week is that on zoom okay so you guys are all over the united states so yeah Yeah. we even have one in israel she works with us she has to be on odd hours (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah what kind of skills do you need to possess in order to make you an expert to the level that you are working with those people you know that's a great question because it's a kind of a new occupation in the last just couple years and so there's not really the regular like go to college you take these classes it doesn't really exist because it's so new there is a brand new program at new haven in connecticut i think Mm -hmm. oh but for the most part people that do what i do is kind of self-trained you go to lots of webinars or conferences and you learn and you get lots of practice and then you best thing to do is to join a group like the group i'm in to help get even more practice with the people that have actually worked with authorities. So. Right. So on a typical case, let's just say totally generic, random, cold case, what would be the morning meeting for for you guys? What would that look like? What kind of instructions would you be getting? And what would be like your next steps? Like here's some unidentified remains. Now what? So the way it works is if I, I, I'm given a case, you know, whether it's homicide or let's just say unidentified human remains, we want to know who the person is. And in the past, you know, it's a cold case. They have no leads. Now what we can do is we get the DNA, whether it be from hair, um, you know, different parts of the body, and we can submit that information to a company called well, Parabon. No, it's no. not Parabon. So oh. CC Moore works with Parabon. Oh, okay. So we can't use Ancestry.com and we can't use 23andMe. Why not? There's laws against it. People okay. don't, people, surprise, surprise, people don't like the authorities going into um, Ancestry and using people's, you know, DNA to find these. It just weirds people out. Well, yeah. There's really nothing <laughs> wrong, but it weirds people out. So the two ones we can use is GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. <clears throat> We can submit a DNA sample to there and we can find out the match, their family matches. Okay. So whether it be a second cousin, third cousin, a bunch, a whole list of people that this unidentified human remains re- relates to. Right. And that's where the genealogy comes in. Okay. And then we start building trees based on their extended family to try to pinpoint who this person is and narrow it down. Sometimes it takes a really, really long time because on GenMatch and Family Tree DNA, there's not as many submissions. Mm. If we could upload it to Ancestry, it'd go a whole lot faster because oh. there's so many people that have submitted their DNA to Ancestry. Mm-hmm. It would, I mean, quick. How how did the DNA part come in? That was done way further upstream, right? Great question. Yeah, so let's say the human remains or let's let's say it's a rape or a homicide the dna is collected back in the early 2000s or 90s or whenever it is they've kept it on file and now that we have more technology they can bring that back out um do what everyone does submit it and then we can kind of get look at their chromosomes and their okay i mean all that so yeah. when you have like we have you have a cold case and i know I, i'm i'm thinking about all of the datelines i've watched mm-hmm. and all of these cold cases and they have boxes and boxes of of evidence and dna is part of that mm-hmm. even if it's a cold case are they taking this dna and just putting it out there into the universe so that even if they're not working on it right this minute mm-hmm. it's been collected and 
we have that. We've had a couple cases where we have a serial rapist because the rape kit, unfortunately, you know what happens after rape kit is they take a semen sample and it matches other cases in the right. area. So mm-hmm. we have, we definitely do have those. Mm-hmm. And so what normally happens is if there's a, when it happens, they submit that sample to the detectives. They use a system called the CODIS. Have you heard of mm-hmm. CODIS yeah. before? Mm-hmm. Okay. We like CODIS. CODIS is basically, it's almost like how they used to take fingerprints, right, of criminals. Now, if you commit hard crimes, they will take blood samples and they will put it into the CODIS system. So the CODIS system is just for people that have committed, you know, bad crimes. Yeah. So they will first see, does this DNA semen sample match anyone in CODIS? Right. If it does, great. You figure out who it is. If not... We don't know. Right. And so there's nothing to go on. And so that's when you start doing the genetic genealogy. Do criminals have the right to not give their... No, once you're a felon, once you've committed a felony. Mm -hmm. But you're suspected of it, right? It's once it's once you're charged, you're charged yeah. with a So felony. once they're charged, they they have no right. But if you just bring some guy in and you suspect him of doing that, you no, can't get no, it from him no. unless he gives it to you. He could say, "Sure, take my DNA." So, great question. So, obviously they can decline. Right. And that's an, and that's their option. Right. Unless there's enough evidence for a warrant. Oh, and mm-hmm. they can get the DNA from the warrant. They yes. can put that in there. Or surreptitiously. Where they wait outside and wait for him to drop a cigarette and exactly. follow him into Wendy's yeah, and catch But a you really have to have enough evidence for that to submit to a judge to allow that to happen. Right. But yes, that can be done also. Oh, I would like to be that guy, like standing on a stakeout and waiting for him. I think to, they like, might know who you are, though. You're kind of obvious. Me? I love you. I. Yeah. But you're kind of obvious. You've never seen me in that mode. <laughs> what, undercover? Yes. I would like to see Denise undercover. I think I could do a good job. I'm just saying. I think you, you could. But I she, totally do. She yeah. have on Louboutins. No, I would not. She's so unexpected because. Oh, oh. Yeah. Like, good point. Like, who's going to be wearing, Why you know, would this woman in Louboutins and a Johnny Versace have, dress. I don't have either one of those things on the floor. But Listen. <laughs> I would, she must be crazy. I'd be like waiting at the diner. <laughs> Puts the glass down. <laughs> I take my <laughs> handkerchief out of my pocket. You do watch these shows. I oh, grab oh, the gl- uh, I mean. I, that's how I go to sleep at night. First of all, she's on Instagram as... The Modern Genealogist. The Modern Genealogist. Yeah. And she posts a lot of really cool things. Like she's talking about cases or her own genealogy that she's done. She does all of that, but she's got a little shop. Is it through Etsy or is it just on your own? It's just on my own. I have a website, moderngenealogist.com. And I kind of, I'm kind of all over the place mm-hmm. because genealogy or family history can really be so many different facets. Which I didn't know. Like, I mean, yes. you've really taken it to the next level of modernizing it. Just the other day, I was thinking about all the different types I've done. I mean, of course, there's normal family history, but I've done house histories. Mm-hmm. House um, histories. There's this cute couple that live in Dorchester, uh, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And they bought this old house from the 1800s, and they have totally renovated it. It's gorgeous. And I did a house history. And so I went back, and I looked at the previous people that lived there, what was going on at the time, and I wrote out this whole house history for them, and it was so fun. And I really loved doing that. That So that's something that... And you found pictures of it original? Were you able to find anything like that? They found some pictures previously, 
but kind of tying in with some of the art that I do, I always, here's my thing. When people decorate a house or put up art decor, oftentimes there's no connection to it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if it's a family photo or something, but for example, people put up landscape pictures, right? Mm -hmm. right? But how cool would it be to have more of a connection to it? For example, get a picture of your, let's say your family comes from Norway, Mm -hmm. find a picture of the fjord they they lived at and have a local artist paint that right and then put it up on the wall right and so instead of just having a regular landscape art picture on your wall it, you have a connection to it so my goal was to try to add family history more back into the home but in a modern way i love it i kind of get sick of the typical family tree old school pictures right. on people's houses that are very dated yes and i feel like there's so many more unique ways of doing that so one thing that i started doing is as I was doing my research, you cool, find these signatures of your ancestors. And I think that's so cool. You, It's almost like character you know, in everyone's signatures. Mm-hmm. So I started taking those and I started making collages. So that's one thing I do now is I create art prints of all your ancestors' signatures. Yeah. And it's a whole collage. Love it. And it's gorgeous. And you see all the different personalities. And then I started saying, well, how can I add this more into people's lives and so what i started doing is taking those prints printing on fabric and started making tablecloth uh, for the dinner for christmas thanksgiving and so you're around your family and you see on your table napkin all of the the signatures of your family i absolutely love that bringing your past family and your current family all to the table that's so great so what so you did a home genealogy uh, you do standard genealogy. I'm also very interested in people who have been adopted or have lost. Uh, That's you know. my favorite. Is it you? It's very rewarding. It's so rewarding. Oh my goodness! So someone will. I've actually had a lot of friends that I didn't know were adopted. Oh, oh is that right? And have come to me and said, you know, you might not know this about me, but I was adopted. Can you help me find my biological parents? Yeah. And that's so much trust. Yeah. You know, and that's. I'm, and I'm proud of them for being ready at that point in their life to, you know, find out. And that's a big step for them. Sure. So whether they're a stranger or a friend, it's my favorite because I'm able to put a name and a story to their biological background. Right. You know, and it's so rewarding. I've had, there was this guy, he's actually from Ireland, and he wanted to find out who his biological father was. And I was able to do so and tell him. And he was able to connect. And he he's a little older than me. He has a son. And his son said, all I want for Christmas is to meet my new granddad. Oh. And you see these videos online of people finding out they, you know, they have a sibling they didn't know about. Or oftentimes, to be honest with you, is the biological father might not even know that this they- child exists. Oftentimes. And... Oh, wow to see them reunite or be able to talk. And I have another lady, I found out who her biological father was. He's, I forget which country, Singapore, somewhere over there, but the whole, he's passed away, but the whole family cannot wait to meet her. Mm -hmm. And she comes from this background where she, her family was not great to her. And all she's wanted to have a family connection. And now that I found her biological father and all of his family, they cannot wait to meet her. They said, you are already part of us. You're already our sister. Oh, and that. she's going to go fly out there next 
year and go meet them. I love that when the the sort of unexpected part of that family, did they know that there was a little No girl? idea. Okay. Oh, the wow. fact that they are so accepting and just like, hey, you're ours. Come, you know, that always... Get, that's the one that gets me crying, you know, because yeah. I don't, who knows how you would react in that situation. Mm-hmm. You want to think that yeah. you'd be like, put your arms around and this is our new sister. But at the same time, you're like, what was our dad up to? What was he doing? Yeah, that's the hard part. It is, changes your opinion of dad, maybe. That's the hard part. So there's a lot of ethical decisions with this. So I don't get involved. I don't contact family. Okay. I, I leave that up to the adoptee or, you know, whatever situation. But uh, I warn them of everything. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, before you contact, they may know about you. They may not know about you. Mm-hmm. You may have been conceived during their marriage, who they're married to now. That can disrupt things. Um, your half-siblings may not be open to you. Mm-hmm. They might, you know, and there might be, you know, unfortunately, there might be, you might be from rape. And you just yes, don't even don't know. know. And so there's a whole spectrum of happy I didn't know you existed to I know you were there and I hope to never see you yeah and you have to be prepared for that mentally emotionally and I always warn them yeah in this particular case that you're talking about did that did that dad know that he had fathered this little girl or do we not know because okay no I had no idea he had no clue no and the cute thing was when I figured out who her father was the siblings wanted to take an extra DNA test just to make sure. sure, And they had told her, you know, even if it comes out for whatever reason that we're not related, you're still going to be our sister. Oh, how cute is that? They just adopted her. Yeah. I love it. The whole landscape of, um, who's your daddy. (laughs) I like to say I'm better than Maury. (laughs) You know, it's not that high of a bar, but I appreciate designation of that (laughs) it has changed the entire world for people because you think your dad is who your dad is and then you find out that he's actually not Mm -hmm. have you come across any of those cases as well where people oh absolutely oh no and i've had to tell a couple people (sighs) some people have come to me and just said oh i just have a simple question Mm -hmm. about you know i just want to know who this person's coming up on my dna i just don't know who they are can you figure out and i'll do my thing and i'll realize oh my gosh their father's not their father. And so then I have an ethical decision. What do I do? Do I want to tell them that? And so normally I do little steps. I say, okay, I'm working. If I find anything unexpected, do you want me to tell you? Oh. They always say yes, right? Does yes. anyone ever say no? Because you can't imagine what the yes is. <laughs> right. I, I would imagine they would say yes. But when you say yes, you're like, well, of course. But you're not thinking that my dad's not my dad. But then I lead. I usually lead. Okay. And I'll say, okay, if, if there's any, <laughs> oh if there's anything unexpected with parentage or close family, do you want me to tell you? And do they say, well, what do you mean by that? What, is, what does that mean? Or do they already <laughs> then kind I'm of like, <laughs> Then I'm like... I I have run into this situation before. Yeah. So I'll try to oh like kind of lead them into it. And okay. if they say, you know what, I don't want to hear anymore, yep. then I'll step back. Right. That's the best way that, I, you know, there's this guy, he's like the leading genetic genealogist. His name is Blaine Bedinger. And he wrote this whole ethical report about handling these situations. Yeah. In my opinion, I agree. I think kind of slowly leading them in, yeah. letting them say, no, I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing is sometimes you find out these 80 year old people who they thought their whole lives were their, was their father isn't 
at that point, you know, does it matter? Do you, does it matter? Do you want to tell them? Do you not? And and that's it's an ethical thing. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. We did a we did a podcast on the kind of the sensational story on Netflix. Our, my, our father. Our father. <gasps> I love that. I, oh, I did one of those cases. It what was do a donor. I did a case who want they wanted to know who their biological father was. And they didn't know how to read any of their DNA matches. And there were a lot of half siblings. And I found out it was the same thing. It was a donor. It was was out of color. Yeah. Yeah. He was a donor kid. That's what they call donor kid. But but whoever the donor dad was did way more donating than he was supposed to. Right. Yeah. And it's not the father's fault. So typically, most often, people that donated in the 80s, 90s were med students. Yeah. Right. And sure enough, it led to, it was, this was a case in Colorado. It led to a man who was in med school at the time and they used his sample more than they were supposed to. And this person. What is the ethical usage of that type of thing? I mean, I remember watching the show on Netflix and I think they said like, they don't want him doing more than three or four times. The big reason why they limit the, the, how many times a donor semen is used is because they don't want in one little city, cousins marrying, you know, siblings that's marrying exactly siblings right. and not knowing. They're and, all and going to high school together and you have no idea that's your half-brother because correct. dad was a creepazoid. It's been really hard for some people, but I like, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. And I like to say that, you know, you might come from not great background, let's say. But the cool thing is that you in your family tree can be the huge turning point. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, my family came from this. Look at where I am now and look how I'm changing the rest of the branches in my tree, you know, yeah. from here on out. And I like that. That's empowering. And that. bringing that up, I think it's really important to find out. I've always said that mental health history is just as important mm-hmm. as medical health history. That's a good point. Because more and more we're finding out that your mental health is very much linked to your ancestry and I think a lot of people come to me and say you know I want to find out my biological mom or dad because I just need a medical health history I have some medical things going on I want to see you know where that's coming from but no one's ever said I have some mental health problems Mm -hmm. I want to see maybe where some of that comes from Mm. and there's a lot of studies have been done it's called epigenetics epigenetics is the study of how your behavior and your environment can affect your genes so Mm. for example they've done studies on holocaust survivors that experience PTSD and they've tested their kids and their grandkids on their cortisol level. Cortisol is a hormone that helps your body regulate after a stressful situation. Okay. If you have low cortisol levels, your body has a hard time regulating a stressful situation. Okay. And oftentimes your cortisol level, if it's low, it's because you constantly are having stressful situations. So, Hmm. so think of a Holocaust survivor that experience lots of PTSD. Right. Their kids and their grandkids are now showing low cortisol levels. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Like you've got someone who's just totally normal cortisol levels and suddenly they're in combat in the military for an extended period of time, PTSD. They will pass a low cortisol level They can. What? And it's, in one study I saw, I think it was at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. In one study they saw significantly with maternal side so if your maternal side experience loss of ptsd you are more likely to have lower cortisol levels and so i think that's so important for people to know you know so now these 
children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors are having more anxiety, you know, more depression, you know, more problems because of that. And I think mm-hmm. that's important to know part of your mental health history. There's another study that was fascinating. They took rats in cages and they would expose them to the smell of cherry blossom. Mm-hmm. And every time they did, they shocked their little feet oh. to oh. cause them to have distress. Okay. And they did that quite a few times to the point where you'd expose them to the smell and you didn't need to shock them anymore. And they start getting really scared. Sure. Guess how many generations that reaction to cherry blossom? How many? I can't. Four generations. Wow. So they're the rats, babies, and so on and so on. Without having to shock their feet, they showed fear from the smell of cherry blossom. I mean. That's amazing. I mean, it goes all the way back to the Pavlovic (laughs) dog study. Yeah. That who could have guessed that that was actually something that you would pass down genetically? Correct. And so I think it's really important for us to look back at our family history, mm-hmm. looking at the mental health. What did people go through? Mm-hmm. You know, why am I experiencing this mental health issue or whatever? You know, I, I grew up great. I have no problems. You know, I didn't experience trauma. Why do I have anxiety or why do I have this? Well, it's probably linked to some sort of experiences from your family history. Interesting. You were talking about on Instagram that there was, you had a situation where there was a group of people, you were relating their ancestry ancestry and what was going on with them and there was people who did not want to know about it do you remember what you were talking about on that so yeah so there i have a friend of mine he wanted to know more of his family history so he is a firstborn african-american his parents are from the congo Mm -hmm. and he he was just curious he just said you know how can i work on my family history he has a little bit of a challenge because his records are in the congo right? right and a lot of those things are not online and that's a challenge. So I said, you know, have you done a DNA test? I might be able to look at that. And he said, sure. And I looked at it. And unfortunately, all of his closest matches are like, you know, fifth cousins, sixth cousins, far, far away. Yeah. Because they because, originally came from the Congo, his right. ancestry, and they don't. Right. And they don't do a lot of DNA testing mm-hmm. over in the Congo. No. So he doesn't have a lot of close mas- matches. But what I did find was he had fifth, sixth, you know, seventh cousins that have been in America a very, very long time. Oh. And it's fascinating because, you know, he just wants to know some of his history. But the hard part of African-Americans who have been in the U.S. a very long time most likely come from slavery. Mm-hmm. And they have a hard time connecting their family history because they were tossed around so much into different places in slavery. But I think it's amazing because my friend is that connection back to their homeland. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of good that can be done to see, you know, we connect to this same ancestor over in Africa. Mm-hmm. And that's where the split happened. Mm-hmm. And we can finally connect some of these African-Americans back to their homeland through mm. DNA matches. Yeah. The I think the secret, though, is there the other side has to have submitted their DNA. Yes. So I'm a big, big, big... I always tell people, go submit your DNA. I mean, if you're weirded out by it, I understand. I've never done it. You haven't done no. it? Why? I don't know. I I just didn't think it was that important. And then I've had people in my life, not my family, but friends who have done it and their dad wasn't their dad. I am... 99.999% sure that my dad's my dad. 
I'm not worried about that. That's no. not why I didn't. Mm-mm. I just didn't do it. I don't know. I have well, I have one here. Yeah. Explain, <clears throat> though, the fear that people have. Because what you said earlier, like, another solving a crime with based on my DNA, I want no part of that. So some people... Oftentimes, it's people that are very wary of the government. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, if I submit my DNA, the government has my DNA. Well, that originally, I, that's why, honestly, when you were talking about how the, you only have access to two different databases because it's against the law. At first, I was like, do you really want, if you have your genetics going out to the world, what if the government did get it and said, and turned it over to your insurance company? Yeah, that was that was when originally, that first came out. Right, that because, was what people were. You know, they'll of. say, "Well, she has the propensity to possibly have cancer, so we're not going to insure that person." I mean, I know it's a long shot, but after we're seeing what's gone on with the COVID, <laughs> you just don't know. Correct. Yeah, there's some. You know, people when it comes to your DNA, that's just so personal, and so people get very wary of that. Uh, Ancestry and Twenty Three Me they have laws to protect its customers. They want their customers to be safe, right? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, if the government wants your DNA, they're going to get it. They can get it. Right. You know what I mean? They probably yeah. already have it. Don't even so I I would be more trusting with ancestry 23 and me <laughs> to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. I I also if you're comfortable with it, I always tell people please do submit your DNA to GenMatch and Family Tree and A. I promise you we don't want you. We just right. are trying to find someone. And the more people that are on those databases, the easier it is for us to pinpoint the bad guys. We're trying to get the bad guys. Right. We're trying to get serial killers and rapists mm-hmm. off the streets. We're trying to give unidentified you know, human remains. We're trying to give peace to the families and mm-hmm. give a name to their headstone. Right. And I think the more people that submit their names there, the better. Right. How do you submit your names to those organizations then? Great question. So if you do, for example, an Ancestry or a 23andMe test, you can download your, what they call raw DNA. Mm-hmm. And for free, you can upload it to GenMatch okay. or Family Tree DNA. Okay. And it's that simple. Okay. But the benefit... To, to me personally, I have no problem doing that. But just to, hypothetically, there would be no benefit to me directly. It's just to give folks like you who are working to find the predator, whomever, a yes. little bit of a heads up, a hand up, so to speak. Because now you can find my fifth cousin who's from Denmark, who actually, you know, is related to the serial killer who's now in Florida. Yes, but one of the helpful things is if you do get into family history, it's really great to connect to your distant ancestors. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the, the better more places the better. GenMatch, Family History or Family Tree DNA, Ancestry, My Heritage. The more places you're on, the more family you're going to find. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how many friends I have made from family all over the world. Really? And they're, one of my favorites was, there's this guy who's in Norway. His name is Ulf. Uh, of course his name is Ulf. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he describes him perfectly. We were able to connect many, many years ago. And since then, he lives in far north where my grandma originally came from. Aww. My cousin has flown there. And Ulf has picked up my cousin from the airport what? and just held out his hand and said, family. Oh, I love And my dad went up to this fjord where his mom was born. And Ulf, same thing, took them around the town. 
And then I also made a connection with another Norwegian side of my family. He's His name's Paul. He's from Australia. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, one day I go on Facebook and there's a picture of Paul and Ulf together yeah. in Norway. And now wow. they're connected. Wow. And I, I mean, I have so many stories of... I, I, for example, I also just went to New York in January and I met my grandpa's, hold on, her grandmother and my great grandfather were siblings. And your great I think it's second cousin okay. once second removed. Cousins. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we met for the first time and it was just great. She looked at my face and she goes, oh, you have brown eyes. And I said, you have blue eyes. And just comparing each other. And we had a whole day and she showed me all around New York and it was just fabulous. Yeah. And so. You had an instant connection. Yes. There's yes. an instant connection and there. And the greatest thing is she knew things about my family that I never would have found online. And Mm -hmm. she also had things. She had quilts, you know, that were made by my great-great-grandmother that I didn't know about. And so connecting to these distant matches is really helpful to all of us. Mm -hmm. I'm from North... I mean, my family, one of the sides of my family, my grandfather and his grandmother, my great-grandmother and her family are directly from Norway. Mm -hmm. And we have all of this handicraft that has been passed down because... Back in the day, they were making their own table runners and napkins, and they were doing this specific work that I don't even, there, it's a, there's a name for it. But my mother has got the most beautiful handiwork from these people back in the day in Norway that they just did their little thing, and yeah. it's such an amazing thing. Yeah. It's and, so amazing. And making those connections really helps you learn more about you yeah, yeah, and your genes and literally your chromosome. And oftentimes, usually the adoptees end up having a much better life yes. than if they were not adopted. Right. Well, have you seen the show? It's on BYU TV. It's not a religious show. It's for everyone. Where they go out. It's called Relative Race. Yes. Yeah, Relative yes. Race. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. And a lot oftentimes you'll they realize that you know i was adopted out and a lot of people say why me yeah did you forget about me did you ever look for me and they realize wow if i had stayed with my family i was not better off no and i think sometimes you have to be confronted with that yeah because what you're imagining is always so much worse than what the reality is or so much better right like sometimes you're thinking well, my dad was a doctor. I'm right. sure he was a doctor. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom who would have loved me. And you find out they were crack addicts or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's an exaggeration. And they have, so, obviously not always, but usually they end up having so much more appreciation for their adopted, adoptee, adopted? Yes. Mm-hmm. Fam- parents. Parents. The yes, parents yeah, who adopted adop- them. Yes. Right. They appreciate so much more. Yeah. I, I think that's probably most cases. If someone is a genealogical hobbyist and wants to take it to the next level what steps would you suggest that's a great question well, i think it depends on where they want to what do they want to do where do right. they want to go mm-hmm. i mean if you just love writing narratives for family members I, I would start there i would offer to do that for family members first and write your own a lot of times we get sometimes excited about helping other people we forget about our own yeah and so doing your own, helping family members, and then ask family members, do you know of any friends of yours that would be interested and start helping people and just doing it by service? 
And then once you get really good at it, if you want to end up, you know, making money from it, then you have a lot of the experience and you've tweaked things and then you can start doing that. You can be certified to be a genealogist. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. Taking lots of courses and webinars. I mean, they're all, everything's online now. It is. That's true. You can almost find anything for free too if if you're low on money. So, right. So when you say writing narratives, are you sitting down and doing an interview with somebody and like asking them about their life so that then you can sort of write it into story form? Sometimes. Usually it's just what the people want. People, oftentimes they just want it of their family. And so I will find lots of records. I will piece together stories and I will add history to it. So that's helpful with my history background. So I can see, you know, your... Great grandparents were living in Cincinnati in the late 1800s. Well, what was going on in Cincinnati at the time? Oh. You know, and adding the history into it, adding what was going on into it, okay. and then creating a whole story for each generation. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's really, that's different than what I thought. You- yeah, you know, there's some genealogists just do like name, date, facts. But you're missing the social history. You're to missing it. the story. Sure. Missing the story. And that's a big thing for me is knowing the story. Because here's the thing with little kids, we have all these books about these superheroes and, you know, the great things that Abraham Lincoln did and whatnot. And when I was teaching, one big thing was. I would teach about Abraham Lincoln, and my kids were like, my students were like, okay, it's mm. Abraham Lincoln. There's no connection. But if I put a picture of their great-grandfather up there, it all of a sudden becomes very real. Mm-hmm. Like oh. At the time, he was, this is your great-grandfather, and Abraham Lincoln was his president. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you see the difference? Yeah. And so I honestly think your family history is a much better book, story, inspirational story, hero to us than anyone else because it makes it real it almost brings it to color like wow they did that i must be able to be able to do that too because they're my family Mm -hmm. and it becomes more real and i love that about family history yeah and it it's empowering it is it really is and the people who are good at it are really good at it doesn't every family have that their aunt gail who does that like just give it to aunt gail she'll do it Who's talking to Aunt Gail? No one. No one. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I got gung-ho about doing genealogy many, many years ago. The kids were little and it was not my season to even try, but I was like, okay, because the church promotes it and family members were talking about it. And I started doing it and there's a learning curve to begin mm-hmm. with. I know it's gotten easier now because yeah. of the technology and mm-hmm. everything is, like you said, it's free, it's online, everything is at your fingertips. At the time, it wasn't like that. But I did find, um, my stepmother is a big genealogist. She That's her thing. She loves the mystery behind it and she's gone many places to find it. She did not want me messing around mm. with the genealogy. And she told me, I've already done that. Don't touch anything in the stuff. So I was really, I wasn't discouraged too much. I was like, okay, well, then let's just let her do it. Here's right? my out. <laughs> well, now I don't have to do it. But yeah. not that it was terrible, but I it, it was a little bit discouraging because she had ownership of this. And I know that when you go in, a lot of 
purist, the genealogist, don't want us to use some of these apps that mm. are on our phones to take care of business because they feel like there's a lot of duplication. There's a lot of young girls even doing it. We, we're promoting it to our youth at the church to, to promote it. What is your feeling on that? I, I mean, I feel like everyone should dig in and figure it out, but everything you said is what's wrong. I know. Genealogy. A couple things. One, two things you brought up. One is you have this sense that I'm supposed to do it. Right. I hate that. I know. Oh. Because you're not supposed to do it. You're supposed, you're, you, you have the ability to You have to the do ability it. to explore yourself. Mm-hmm. And if it's someone. A good way of thinking of it. Yeah. It's not something you're, it's not a checkoff box. It's literally going on a trip and mm-hmm. it's an exploratory for you and getting to know your ancestors. It's, there's no obligation. Right. right. I don't, I want to take the obligation out of it. Right. The other thing is, I think when it comes to, for example, younger girls that are interested in it and you don't want them to mess it up. What a terrible thing. Why not say, Hey, I heard you're interested in this. Come over, let's talk. And I'll tell you some things that I found. And, you know, maybe I can help you, direct you. Like, you know, I'm curious about this. Maybe you can find something. Genealogy is an opportunity for us to connect as family that are living. Mm -hmm. And so why would you ever want to make that a big divider? And in fact, my kids, someone told me once they hate genealogy because their parents were so involved in it. Yeah. That it took time away. It took time away. And that really hit me. I was like, okay, so I've made it a point not to push it on my kids Mm. because I don't want them to be like, oh, mom's talking about genealogy again. In fact, my kids know very little, Mm -hmm. but I'll bring it up. Like we were driving through the mountains, I think in California. And I said, oh, this is probably the area where, you know, your great, great grandmother probably. And I leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And then they ask questions. So it's exploratory. They're young now, but you have the ability to like bring them into the whole family business for, for this is your family business really you have the ability to do that and introduce them in a positive way you have the ability to like so. you mm-hmm. you do my stepmom just in her own defense if i was to ask her right now can i see what you're doing and be part of it she'd be all about it yes she'd be so excited yeah she i mean she will share it with me she just didn't want me messing it up and she's probably she's probably right well let's get back to the criminal portion of the dna sure you were not on that, um, in that group that helped find the Golden State Killer, or were you? No, this was back in a while ago. Yeah, 2015, maybe 2016. That was a while ago. Okay. Yeah. So all of this is very new since then. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and there's there are lots of people that love crime mm-hmm. and they want to be able to help with that. And we have more people that are already detectives that are now trying to learn how to do it. And, um, it's just great. It's so fascinating to think that you could be, for lack of a better term, a citizen sleuth or citizen detective. Vigilante. Vigilante. <laughs> yes, that's mm-hmm. the word. A genealogical, genealogical vigilante. That's right. Slash Maury. <laughs> Slash Maury. Maury. Yeah. Gotta have a little Maury and a little sensationalism. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Do you work consistently on criminal cases? I work kind of all over the place. I definitely devote usually at least 10 hours a week to work. I have, you know, I'm given some cases 
that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I work, we work in teams and which allows me to, you know, be like, Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. You know, the, like I said, the problem is that they're all very, very difficult cases because we can only use GEDmatch and family tree DNA. So mm-hmm. all of our matches are like fifth cousins. So once you find that match, the fifth cousin match, okay, then what happens? So the process is, first thing we do is we look at the DNA matches and we try to, cl- well, you, when it comes to adoption or forensic investigative, the process is you want to look at your matches and you want to break them into four groups. And they all, sh- one group comes from your father's father's side Mm -hmm. one group comes from your father's mother's side and so on all your four grandparents okay so once you can break those up you can say these people came from this side and then you start building trees and so for example let's say it's a serial killer Mm -hmm. i'm gonna try with all of his matches to try to link them together almost like a spider web okay and you try to figure out okay here's this cluster of people that all relate to jimmy joe bob from Mm -hmm. 1830 Mm -hmm. okay and then there's another cluster group that all relate to marianne fitzherbert in 1830 where do those two clusters marry together Mm -hmm. and then you get closer and closer when your little clusters start marrying in each other until you come down to Hmm. where it all kind of comes together. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. So basically it's an overwhelming, (laughs) uh, it's an overwhelming process of dealing with four entirely separate people and their lines. That's the starting point. And it can get more complicated also. So the other problem is endogamy. Endogamy is, it's not incest, but think of like a small town Mm -hmm. where there's, you know, not that many families Mm -hmm. and the Smith family married into the Jones family and the Jones family married into the Anderson family. And they all kind of, so that's endogamy. And the problem is that when you have an endogamous family, you don't have direct lines. You have circles. Oh Oh my goodness. Makes it very, very difficult. Endogamy is more common in smaller towns, um, in the South Southern areas. Um, you know, small farm towns. Sure. When you're dealing with ancestors from bigger cities like New York and places like that, it's usually not as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's a problem with more families than you would think. Oh, I'm sure. You get these families from West Virginia that grew, all grew up in the one valley. Yeah. And of course, they're all going to somehow, yeah. you know, intermarry. That's... And when you're doing this, you want to look at their last names and try to see, oh, there's a Miller on, on this cluster. I saw a Miller over here, you know? And, and that's oftentimes how you connect clusters together is by looking at last names. Mm-hmm. But if you're an endogamous family, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I've seen They're Miller. all Millers. <laughs> They're all Millers. <laughs> and they might also have the first same la- first names that are the same. For yes. example, yeah. fathers and sons Correct. and seconds and thirds. And I yeah. mean, John Miller, I just saw that. Oh, that's a different John Miller. Right. Yeah. John Miller had a son, John Miller, and... Yeah, the it, amount of Vince's mm-hmm. and, and John's in my family is like, good luck. Right. Yeah. And so that's why if the more people we have on GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA, more people, the closer matches make it so much easier. If we get a second cousin oh. match, then you know they're related by great-grandparents. Oh, oh, my gosh. It's like the most exciting thing in the world. You should see my face. I love puzzles and 
it's it's but it matters it's like doing a puzzle that really matters to right. either solving a crime helping someone find you know biological family or just learning about where they came from it's so fun to me to be able to put that together and to present that and know that it matters to someone yes my husband this is so funny my husband hates genealogy <laughs> and family history right like he not i wouldn't say hate but he absolutely has zero interest he does not understand me at all mm-hmm. and he comes from a family that had lots of genealogists and they thought it was an obligation and he's like i've heard all the stories and he gave me a competition one night and he said i'm going to give you 10 minutes i want you to find me a story about one of my ancestors that i've never heard of Oh, let's go. Game on. I said, absolutely. Within five minutes, I found this amazing story about his third time great grandmother who was living in near the border of Mexico. And it was during the, I think this Mexican-American war. And they were coming to her house. Her husband had died. She had buried him next to the house. She had like six kids. And she got warning that she needed to leave her house. And she packed up all of her kids into the wagon with her horse Mm -hmm. and left food burning on the stove. And she had to flee her house. And she she wrote a whole journal about how she looked back never to see her house again, never see the tombstone of her husband ever again. And she had to move. Mm. And how she was very religious, very faithful, and how she prayed. And I mean, it was just the most amazing story. And I told him and he said... That's amazing. How have I never heard that story before? And I made it a point. This is you. This comes from you. Like how brave that is. And he's like, I can't believe you found that. She's a hero. She is a hero. Literally. And so faithful, you know, with her convictions. And can you imagine no. that? Can no. you imagine? And that's a real. That's the other thing that my students had a hard time with. These are real people. Mm-hmm. When I would talk about the Civil War in my classes, they think the Civil War was so freaking long ago that it's not even and i would remind them my grandmother who was alive at the time i was teaching she was born in 1918 Mm -hmm. a lot of these civil war veterans were alive in 1918 my grandmother who i'm still talking to today was alive when civil war veterans were alive that's correct and i try to make it into perspective this isn't actually that long ago that people were fighting about slavery and racism that's right because they think all these things are so long ago or what we're dealing with right now is so new. It's not new. Right. We've Correct. been fighting for it for, how, yeah. you know, yeah. women's rights, rights of the African-Americans. Yeah. Name a right. It's, yeah. We've been dealing with it for a very long time. And honestly, change doesn't usually come that much until new generations That's right. come. That's right. Do you get paid to do the genealogical work that you do? Yes. So I have my own business that I do genealogical work for Mm -hmm. i also have i also am hired by another genealogist he's kind of retired and he likes putting the books together he doesn't like doing the research and he hires me i do the research for him i write the narrative i send it gives me a check it's great okay and i don't have to like talk to clients or because sometimes clients are upset when i surprise them and their family is not (laughs) you know gets to do the dirty work yeah, the family's not as squeaky clean as they thought they were. They you never know. are. <laughs> Sorry. Rarely. No, they're n- rarely. So, yeah. and then um, if I solve, if I'm on a team that solves a case with the forensic side, then 
we get paid not much, but oh, okay. I, that that was sort of the side I was wondering about yeah. when you're doing that type of it's thing. It's not much, unfortunately, because sure. these are cold cases, and yeah. there's a lot, not a lot of money there. Sure, sure. You know? It's a labor of love. A lot of that is volunteer. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, if but some, it's good practice too. Well, yeah, and it's got to be like expanding your your abilities oh, doing yeah. that type of hardcore. Yes. And, yeah. and yeah, and the yeah. reward that you're mm-hmm. getting from doing that to me again, it's making a huge difference. Right. How did you get involved with this? I mean, what is the initial? What are you educating? I know you have a history degree. Is that correct? Yes. How from there? Where did it go? So I was young. I was probably about fifteen, mm-hmm. and. We didn't have an Aunt Gail in our right. family that did genealogy all the time. And I just, growing up, my dad was really big in history. And he'd take us on lots of vacations to learn about historical things. So I just really loved that. I loved being able to walk somewhere where something happened, you know, mm-hmm. where something big happened. And my, a couple things. So my mother passed away when I was 14. And I started thinking more about what happens when people die. You know, Mm -hmm. at the time I wasn't very religious and I started having a bigger perspective, I guess you could say. And my grandmother, my dad's mom, the one that was born in Norway, I never got to meet her. She died the year I think I was born. And, but I've heard stories about how, you know, the the Norwegian side and I heard story about my, both my grandparents were, in World War II, mm-hmm. and I just hear all these stories, and I just kept thinking, you know, why don't, why don't we have this somewhere, you know? And I just was curious about where I came from, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to figure it out. And I like puzzles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a lot of it was just curiosity, <clears throat> trying to find out more about my family and my connection with the world. I mm-hmm. guess you can say. I felt a little bit detached at the time. And I think by doing genealogy, it gave me attachments. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, well, my mom passed away, and I never met this grandmother, but I know there's such a big part of me. Right. And I missed the connection. And by doing genealogy, I think I feel that connection mm. to them. Mm-hmm. And it's powerful yeah. to me. If people want to get a hold of you, tell us your Instagram handle again. It's the modern genealogist. Mm-hmm. And same thing with my website. It's themoderngenealogist.com. And I'm on Instagram, I would probably say the most. Okay. The modern gene. I'm looking it up right now. You can hear me tapping. And I love, and, and I do lots of things. We, I mean, I post things about regular genealogy and home decor, using genealogy with home decor. Love and that. Just like all aspects. And sometimes I'll post about some adoption cases or um, using investigative forensic genealogy i'm kind of all over the place to yeah. be honest with you but yeah but that keeps it exciting and fun it does. it does yeah the most recent things i've been talking about were my ancestor who was in a mental health facility for her whole life and no one knew about her in our family i got the records from the mental health hospital Ooh. and so i just started posting about it i'll be i'll be posting more about that though people don't like to talk about mental health issues in families it's the, it's taboo still, for sure. Still, a friend of mine, she does not like genealogy <laughs> because for that reason, she doesn't want to know the skeletons in the closet, interesting, and the bad things. And it's like, well, you know, my great grandfather was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all of our great grandparents were alcoholics. But just guess by the what? Way. Mm-hmm. 
that great grandparent served in World War One and mm-hmm. saw terrible things. That explains it, possibly. It and was so it so so it's easy to say, oh, you know, I'm ashamed of this great grandpa or great or my grandpa because he was an alcoholic. But guess what? There's a story behind that. There's a reason. For There's the a reason for that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so one, it helps you to know I'm susceptible to be an alcoholic. You know, mm-hmm. have addiction or addictive personality and whatnot. Number one, that helps. Number yeah. two what happened there you know maybe maybe your ancestor was a terrible person or maybe there's something behind that right and i think that's giving your ancestors a little bit of a break sometimes to realize they had to deal with really hard things also it's very important to know that at the end of the day you're not your ancestors correct and we have some very dark dark stories on on my dad's side as everybody does in their face, you go far enough back, you're going to find a creep. I think it's important to know that just because great-grandpa was really the worst human ever, that doesn't necessarily define who, who I am. It doesn't, it doesn't have to because I choose for it not to. His problems were his own problems. So it works both ways. It's like it also helps define, well, I wonder why I suffer from this particular mental issue. But at the same time, I also don't, I don't have to take the burden of their creepiness on myself if it doesn't apply. Absolutely. And it is a good perspective also to say, what do my answers, what do I want my descendants to say about me? Oh, please. You know, (laughs) and, you know, they could say, you know, she, I don't know your history, but she grew up in this really hard situation, Mm -hmm. but she made something of herself and she's a hero to me. Right. She broke that cycle or whatever it was. I was talking to my half-sister, and she was a little bit worried about how to keep track of her son. Her son had a situation where he was in the neighborhood, and he's younger. And long story short, she was asking, do I get him fingerprinted? Do I do DNA testing? Are we doing things like that on young children? Like when they're born, do we collect their DNA? Do we have some kind of database that moms and dads can put that in so that if something terrible happens to their kids, they have the ability to say, here's my child's DNA, find them. No, we don't. Um, At this point, I have had people, I've had a couple of people say, I gave up someone for adoption, Mm. you know, years ago. How can I find them? And unfortunately, the only way to do that is to put your DNA on one of these databases and hope that one day they will too, and they will find you. Interesting. Mm. Is there any, are we going towards that? Because that just seems like it would solve a lot of problems right then and there. Yes. I don't, honestly, I don't know. It's kind of that microchip theory. Are we all going to eventually have microchips? You do have to wonder what the other side of that is. I guess. It could complicate things terribly. Or people could find you, you know, and you don't want to. You don't want to be found. So there's a slew of reasons why women were put into mental health facilities and one of the things they talked about was they call it hysteria (laughs) which derives from talking about your 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 uterus uterus. Mm -hmm. yeah and um you know hysterectomy hysteria Mm -hmm. things like that for a long time there was this belief that as you aged your woman parts made you crazy i think they might not be wrong I'm just saying, right? I had to have my hysterectomy because I was going crazy. Have you done a lot of research within the records of mental institutions? So 
my I was talking with my grandmother who just passed away this year. She was 103, and yes. she was she knew it. Gra- I mean, my great grand my grandfather died at 103 as well. Really? Yeah. She I was mean, sharp as a tack. She was sharp. She remembered everything. I, I mean, it. she she had stories, and she she encouraged. Um, what's her name? Um, the one that was dating Howard Hughes, Ava Gardner. Ava Gardner. Yeah. yeah. She was friends with Ava Gardner, and she encouraged Ava Gardner to break up with Howard Hughes. Good and, girl. Like, told me all the stories about it. It was crazy. Anyway, I was asking her, while she was alive, I asked her all these questions about, okay, tell me about these people. And I would write them down just to get at least, at least a little bit about all these people. I asked her about one of her aunts, mm-hmm. and I said, tell me about Anna. Mm-hmm. And she said, there's no Anna. Mm-hmm. I said, there's an Anna. There's a census report. You've told me about all of her siblings. Tell me about Anna, who was the youngest also. And she said, there's no Anna. That's wrong. I said, it's not wrong. And so I followed Anna's census reports. She was put into a mental health hospital when she was 29. And she, and I found out she died there. She lived her entire life until, I think she was put in in 1900. And she died in the 1940s. Oh, my goodness. She was 60-something. She was almost 70 years old. Her whole life almost was there. And that's why my grandma didn't know her because she was kind of... And so I wanted to know... And no one spoke about it. No one spoke about her. And I want to know what happened to this lady. Why Why was she she there? Why, you know, was she abandoned? And so luckily, I'm not going to talk about who they are, but Mm -hmm. the mental health hospital is still open today. Okay. And so I... Went through a lot of loopholes. I was able to find the right person. And yes, they still had these old, old, old records. Wow. And it took me probably two years <gasps> to finally get them. But I got them just a couple months ago of a report of why she went in, what was going on with her, some of her mental health problems. And the best part, it came with all correspondence, meaning letters from family back and forth. Oh, so they from- did keep in contact with her. Someone did. Someone did. And did I haven't you... talked about it on my Instagram okay. yet. But okay. someone so did keep in contact. Have you talked with her. about what brought her to that place? Yes, I have. So the intake papers, the initial things, was that she, they call it melancholy, which is another oh, word for depression. Yeah. And it said that her lover had left her a year prior. Mm. She was a dressmaker who was overworked. And she was having hallucinations, um, stages of kind of manic and depression. I, I'd, I'd imagine she's kind of manic depressive. Mm-hmm. Hallucinations, her, she didn't always have, her reality was a little skewed. Mm-hmm. Some of the comments she made in some of those reports were funny. She'd go around saying she owned the place mm. and <laughs> that she was a princess of England or something. Okay. But anyway. So she went in for those initial reasons, and I don't know if they realized she was going to be there forever, but her condition didn't improve very much. It didn't. And in the beginning, her family did visit. It sounded to me like maybe she was didn't have a great relationship with her mom, because mm-hmm. when her dad passed away, there's a re- record that her mom came in to tell her, and she denied that it happened. She didn't mm-hmm. believe her. Mm-hmm. So... Well, it doesn't help any that they probably had lead in the water and she was like, you know, 1900. Right. Did they even medicate them? I mean, they were, they were shocking them and they were putting them on lithium and all these weird things that are not good for you. That's the thing that I think is odd is I was hoping to find more records about 
treatment. Yeah. No. I don't know if maybe they didn't give them to me or why. So that's what I'm curious about. Someone went Marie Kondo on the filing system and just like <laughs> tossed everything. But there it, wasn't a huge amount of information about how they were treating yeah, her. Yeah, they held it and they said, this doesn't make me happy. And we're going to throw it away yeah, and not yeah. give it to you. Right. <laughs> I, think, right. I think also, and you know, it's just from other reading other things and understanding it. I don't think because mental health, they... They did not, they put you somewhere Mm -hmm. just to keep you there. Yeah, they did. There was no, let's try to rehabilitate. Let's try to make them healthy. Let's try to give them a quality of life that is something. They were looked at as second class citizens or maybe even worse. And that's just what, that's how it was. Knowing that my, you know, grandmother had manic depression or something knows that's in my family history. I need to be aware of that. I need to take precautions. Absolutely. And it's okay if you need to take medication or do meditation or whatever healthy means to do that because you know about it. Before we uh, before any of our guests leave, we've asked them to bring something that's called a takeaway gift. Something you can leave with us and our audience that we can remember you by and that might be something that is profound or interesting, whatever. What do you have for us today? So this is a term that I call inside influence. So it has to do with family history. So like I've said before, family history, it's not for your ancestors. It's not an obligation. It's for you. It's to find your real life heroes. It's to learn about personality traits, musical abilities. You know, if you find out your great grandfather was a carpenter and you realize, wow, I actually really like doing that too you know it's learning about yourself and it's saying they did that i can do that too and i feel like so often people try to find themselves through social media (laughs) tv friends that's outside influence but what's important is inside influence and so it's looking at your family history to find who you are no matter how old you are and again and again and again and that's inside influence. I love it. Christy, love thank it you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. This was wonderful. It's, you guys are great. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. In the meantime, uh, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on all the places you get podcasts. Be sure and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We got a lot of fun things happening there. Be sure and follow Christy on The Modern Genealogist. Uh, that's her Instagram handle as well as her website. You can contact her there. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're two average girls. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.